We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. You are listening to Rotoviz Radio, a fantasy football podcast. With your host, Matthew Friedman. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle of the Action Network and Rotoviz. Welcome to a special edition of Rotoviz Radio. Today we are talking about the Houston Texans. In between now and the NFL Combine and the draft, I am interviewing beat reporters for every franchise 32 teams, 32 beat writers, and 32 episodes. We are covering team needs, free agency, draft rumors, basically everything between now and day one of the draft. For this episode, I'm joined by John McClain of the Houston Chronicle, where he covers the Texans. In this episode, he talks with us about the importance of quarterback Deshaun Watson to the Texans offense, the positions the team needs to address in the draft, and the job security head coach Bill O'Brien now has in Houston. Before we get to the guest, I'd like to remind you that you can get a listeners-only 30% discount to a road of his NFL pass through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all the premium NFL content on the site, and it supports the pod. All right, let's get to the guest. Please welcome to the show, John McClain of the Houston Chronicle. He is a former president of the Pro Football Writers of America. You can follow him on Twitter at McLean underscore on underscore NFL, where he provides up-to-the-minute news on everything to do with the Houston Texans. John, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and I uh, just have to say, very, very honored, very uh, pleased to get to talk with you about the Texans. It's a really kind of a tale of two seasons for them last year. There was a lot that was uh, exciting with Deshaun Watson, uh, and then a lot that wasn't quite as exciting when he and a lot of the other guys were out of the lineup. Kind of big picture, what are your thoughts on what we can expect to see from this team in 2018? They had 20 players on injured reserve and 13 starters, and I've never seen a team have so many players get hurt. They totally revamped their um rehab and brought in a new coach they've changed their weight room they've changed a lot of things about the way they do business behind the scenes he can't do anything about broken bones but soft tissue injuries maybe you can so for them to be able to realize their potential as a team 
they've got to be relatively healthy. Like Jacksonville lost one player last season. If the Texans had only lost one player, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't have been four and 12. And so that's the key, getting back to injured players. Deshaun Watson, in his six starts, they averaged 34 points a game. In his last five starts, they averaged 39 points a game. And an offensive line that was exposed as the worst in the league after he was injured, while he played, in those six starts, they were third in the league in rushing with 143 yards a game, and he only gave up 2.4 sacks a game. And so we were not talking about how pathetic the offensive line was because he's got great pocket awareness, and everybody knows about his mobility, but he avoided a lot of sacks just by stepping one way, stepping left, right, back, up, uh, spin moves, things that other quarterbacks can't do. So I was suspect when he's back, if he stays healthy, we'll all go, wow, those moves they made in the offensive line sure worked out well, when, and maybe they will, but probably it's more having to do with Watson. So everything they do on offense hinges, hinges, hinges on Watson and the injuries. I don't think the offensive line is that big a deal this year because last year he was terrific with that offensive line that was exposed as the worst in the league. So they've made three changes. They're going to have four new starters. Their first pick in the third round, fourth in the third round will be a left tackle, I'm sure. And they may draft a guard in there as well. And so they've done everything they can to try to get better. Still need a third running back who is fast and can catch. They need a wide receiver besides DeAndre Hopkins who can stay healthy. If Will Fuller could stay healthy, look at what he did with Watson. His first 13 catches from Watson, seven were from touchdowns. He can't beat that ratio. And so they've got a lot of firepower on offense if they can stay healthy. But every receiver's been hurt. They still need a tight end to replace C.J. Fedora, which, which to me, next to left tackle, is their second biggest need on offense. And then, Adding Tyron Matthew at safety and, and Aaron Colvin at corner. Colvin played better than Matthew last year, but most people don't realize that he was great for the Jaguars covering inside receivers. Those are big moves, but having Watt and Merciless back to help Clowney take some pressure off Clowney should help the pass rush, and that's going to make the coverage look better. So if they just they still are going to have a lot of needs. You can't solve all problems in one off season. Next year they have a first round pick and two second round picks. This year they were loaded with cap money, which former general manager Rick Smith knew they were going to need since they didn't have first and second picks. And so uh, I think they're going to be good enough to win the division. Jacksonville won it by a game over Tennessee. I'm not saying they will, but I think. They will compete for the division title their third and four years. And I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender. I don't think that'll be this year. But if Watson stays healthy, they are capable of winning any time, anywhere. You know, you, you mentioned there that uh, so much hinges around Watson. You've written that he reminds you of Warren Moon. Can you talk a little bit uh, about the comparison and really what it is in Watson's game that gives, uh, I guess, the city so much optimism for what he could be doing in the future? I I said that about Moon in the off season and at the start of training camp. And I remember I got a lot of criticism from I guess, Moon fans and Oiler fans, and it had nothing to do with the playing. It was about the way he carried himself, the leadership, the the characteristics you want in a quarterback. He was smart like Moon. Warren had a great arm. Watson's got a really good arm. Uh, Moon had great accuracy. I mean, Warren's in the Hall of Fame, and Deshaun started six games. But the thing, and Warren was a 28-year-old rookie, because he'd been in Canada for five years and Sean was 21. So the things you want in leadership, the things you want in hard work, and that they have those same characteristics. But as far as playing, the one thing Warren Moon worked really hard at, when he came up, he wasn't any good, and they were awful in 84, 85, and 86. For three years, people were saying the Oilers made a mistake signing Moon. And then all of a sudden, the general manager made the coach, Jerry Glanville, open up the offense. And they went to the playoffs seven years in a row, and Warren became one of the greatest quarterbacks in history. So he was actually 39, 31 years old 
before his career took off. And, of course, he played into his 40s. Watson was on a pace for 43 touchdown passes, which would have shattered the rookie record. He was on a pace to rush for six touchdowns. That would have given him 49, the same number Cam Newton had three years ago when he was MVP. So Watson, uh, if you Google Deshaun Watson touchdowns, which I do – quite a bit just because I'm amazed watching them. Some of the moves that he made before he got rid of the ball were phenomenal. And I remember one in particular against Kansas City. And the uh, a pass rusher for the Chiefs got free up the middle on a stunt. And he zeroed in on Watson in the pocket. Watson's holding the ball in his right hand, about to throw it, and the guy reached out to strip sack Watson, and at the last instant, he switched the ball to his left hand. The pass rusher hit his right arm and hand and jerked it down, and then that pass rusher went down. Watson pulls his arm back up, puts the ball back in his right hand, and throws a 49-yard bomb to Will Fuller for a touchdown. And I, you can't see the expression on the chief's face, of course, but you can tell by the way he's laying on the ground, like what in the world happened? And I asked Watson, I said, I said, when you see something like that, what do you think after you watch the tape? He goes, wow, I did that, man. And he can't believe it either because it's instinctive and he has great pocket pocket awareness, which means you can feel a rush. And that's just something that's developed. You get to the NFL, you either got it or you don't, and he has it. And he has everything it takes to be a great quarterback and to lead this team for a long time. I'm convinced. And I thought Bill O'Brien did a tremendous job coaching him, play calling, everything. And I'm convinced that Watson – and win a Super Bowl for Houston if they continue to put talent around him. As you mentioned earlier, uh, Deshaun Watson's ability to maneuver the pocket can really help out his offensive line and and can uh, make up for some of the deficiencies it might have. Uh, But that's not really a a long-term plan. Like At some point, the the offensive line does need to improve, and you mentioned the idea that maybe in the third round uh, they could look to to bolster the line, maybe get a left tackle there. But it's hard to find decent left tackles in the third round of the draft. Uh, Kind of looking more at this, what are your thoughts uh, long-term for the offensive line and what they need to do to improve to keep Deshaun Watson healthy for a number of years? They've signed three uh, undrafted, three unrestricted free agents. They're still hoping to get Derek Newton, who started four years at right tackle back, and he might have to move inside. I did a story before the divisional round of the playoffs. On air, I looked at every starting lineup, and I wrote a story about how many of the starting lineups the guys were drafted in the third round down or were just undrafted free agents. It was amazing. How many you got? And right now, the problem in college, and this is something I'm writing about that that I'm going to post Wednesday about Brian Gain talking about because the way college programs play today, you can't, tackles are not automatic. So many of them don't ever get down in three-point stance. Everything they do is a two-point stance. In the NFL, you've got to get down. Used to, you could draft a left tackle in the first round, and he was money for 10 years. Now you can't count on any of them. Fortunately for the Texans, they have depth. There's depth from the bottom of the second round through the fourth round. And they like Julian Davenport at left tackle. He's going to get the first shot. The new guy will probably get a shot. If both of them are good enough to start, one of them might move to the right side. Where right now, Chantrell Henderson's supposed to start. He hadn't started in two years at Buffalo, and he had 27 starts his first two years. And and he's on a one-year contract, which means they're going to get the best for him. Brian Gain wanted to get bigger stronger and more physical up front. So the moves they've made have been designed to reach that goal. And the guy they draft is not going to be somebody weighing 295. It's going to be somebody, I'm guessing, at least 6'5", 315, or 20. Davenport, 6'7", 320. He's got the longest wingspan of 
ever seen 87 and a half inches and he's got great feet because he played basketball for a long time his problem was the competition at Bucknell and they thought at the end of last season the coaches did when he started the last two games at left tackle a little light bulb went off and all of a sudden the game wasn't too big for him and he started countering some of the moves the pass rushers made and he wasn't falling for some of the moves and so he showed improvement now most rookies most nfl players show their biggest improvement between the first and second years unless they're like not real bright or they have a coaching change over system change but davenport's really smart so i could see him winning that job and if he doesn't say they take a rookie uh i could see him playing right tackle and i'll give you an example 2006 they needed offensive tackles they had two picks in the third round first one was charles Spencer from Pitt to play left tackle and Eric Winston from Miami to play right tackle. Spencer earned a job immediately at left tackle and then suffered a terrible broken leg in the first game and his career was over. And then Winston took a year and then of course he solidified right tackle for six, five more years. And uh, so they can be had. And um, it's just number one system coaches, what you ask them to do, what, how how quickly they develop, but unless they go for a tackle who comes from pro style offense like Stanford, Florida State, Michigan State, Wisconsin, one of those where they get down in a traditional three point stance, it's probably going to take longer for him to develop. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the the players who will support Deshaun Watson, the running backs, Lamar Miller and Dante Foreman, how you think that backload, uh, that, that, that backfield workload will be split. And then the wide receivers, DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller, maybe the, the, uh, the most dynamic duo in terms of wide receivers in the league, but the receivers after them, who do you think is going to be the third receiver who emerges? Well, first of all, on Fuller, if Fuller could stay on the field, he is a terrific compliment to Hopkins. Hopkins catches the ball all over the place, but Fuller runs for high four twos. And so having him there to run deep routes helps open up the middle of the field and the sideline for Hopkins. And and in four games that they played with Watson last year, only four games did that threesome play. They averaged forty point five points a game. And so that just is an example of what could be in store if Fuller can stay on the field. And uh, for him to do that, I would hope that he's hit the weight room because he looks frail. And when he got hurt last year for the first time in training camp, I was standing there watching. He went up and came down his shoulder and suffered a separated shoulder and underwent surgery. So that was easy to understand. But then he always had problems with his wheels you know, pull muscles and things like that. And he's got to get in the weight room. He needs to add about 10 pounds of muscle. And he, maybe he's worried that it would slow him down to where he only ran in the four threes. You know, if he ran in the four fours, they'd be happy. And so Bruce Ellington came out of nowhere. It was a great signing by Rick Smith. He made some big plays, but the reason he's bounced around the Texans were 13 is because he couldn't stay healthy. Sure enough, he got hurt. And Braxton Miller, you know, to me, it's a make or break year for him. He flashed, then he got hurt. He was hurt two different times, which makes you appreciate the durability that DeAndre Hopkins has had missing one game at Indy last year um, in the last game in his career, and that's it. So I think they need to get a receiver who is larger and has doesn't have a history of injuries in college and put him in the mix and let him see what he can do. And as far as Miller and Foreman, Bill O'Brien said last week, Foreman is scheduled to be ready for training camp. And that's great news for them because Dante got hurt uh, when he was running for his second touchdown and blew out his Achilles. So I think there's a good chance he could start. Now they also, and Lamar Miller, it's kind of like a running back by committee. Miller has never had the explosiveness he had at Miami. I don't know why. He's been dependable. He's a dependable receiver, but we haven't seen any breakaway ability, any explosiveness. And it's almost like it was a running back by committee. 
Now, they drafted Tyler Irvin as a change of pace back as fast and quick and can catch. He blew out his knee last year, but he didn't show me anything before he did that he could hold down this role. They need a third back who is fast, who can catch, who will force somebody to cover him in the secondary, send him out on pass routes. And um, so that would be the threesome. I never understood why they cut uh, Akeem Hunt. He he gave them all that, plus he was a good kickoff returner. But that's the kind of back they need. And they've got talent at their skill positions. You know, you don't need a great back. If you find one, fine. One of the things they do need, and this is why Lamar Miller played over Foreman, is he's a good blocker and he knows who to block. Foreman was a willing blocker who a lot of time did not know. And if you're in a, if you're the running back and you're the lone running back and a slot receiver is looking like he's going to slot corner, looks like he's going to blitz, and you say he's coming from the from your right side, and when the ball snap, you step up there to take him on. Oops, he drops into coverage, and here comes a slot corner from the other side. You're not there. Boom, he blindsides Watson. That's not what you want. You've got to have a back who understands blocking and makes the right decisions. And Yante Foreman is a willing blocker. He's big. He can take those guys on. But he didn't have to do it at Texas. So it's not easy to just step in and know who to block when they're trying to confuse you. So I think he'll be a lot better at that this year, and that may help him stay on the field more. If we could talk about the defense a little bit, you had mentioned the changes that they've made in the secondary to shore it up. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about what we would expect to see from the secondary this year and uh, how it would, uh, I I guess, just kind of stand out within the defensive unit as a whole. Well, last year losing Watt and then Christian Covington halfway through the season, he was having his best season. And then at the end, they lost nose tackle DJ Reader, and they're playing three guys signed off the street. And without Whitney Merciless, you had one pass rusher, and that was Tevion Clowney. And he was on a roll for a while, and teams just figured out a way to stop him by assigning multiple players to him most of the time. So you can neutralize one guy. And the year before, Bernard McKinney had five sacks. And a lot of them was because he was left open up the middle when they were worried about uh, merciless and clowny. And so last year, not having a pass rush exposed the DBs for their lack of speed. And we saw in certain games, specifically Jacksonville and LA, in which they just couldn't keep up. They, they're too slow. Well, if you got a pass rush, they don't have to cover as long. And um, uh, a guy who really needs to bounce back is Kevin Johnson. And they seem to think they fired John Butler, their defensive back coach. They elevated Anthony Midget. Did maybe prob- part of Kevin Johnson's problem was mental. I know one thing, when he came back from his injury, he started committing penalties. He would grab. He would hold. He was getting frustrated with officials. And that's not who he was. It's almost like he was trying to do too much. He was not confident. He was biting on fakes. They got to get him back to be in a confident corner that he was as a rookie before injuries took their toll. And I believe he's he's always hurt. You know, he's weigh, he may weigh 180 pounds, and he's their most physical defensive back. And so he hits people, and he gets hurt. So you got Jonathan Joseph back at 34, and then you have Kareem Jackson back. And then a guy to keep an eye on is uh, Tristan Deku, who was a rookie last year, who's their biggest DB, who looks like a safety. I think with Aaron Colvin coming in, and one reason Colvin came to Houston, is he wants a chance to play outside. He wasn't going to get that in Jacksonville with Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Boyer, the best tandem in the league. So he was a slot corner. According to Pro Football Focus, he's never given up a touchdown pass in 723 snaps. And last year, he was like number three in the league, according to Pro Football Focus, and among slot corners. And his average per reception was really good. And so he played really, really well. And I, at the combine, I talked to two people from Jacksonville, told me there's no way we're letting him get away. He's too good. It's too valuable. But then they decided we got to put our money toward a guard, 
and helped Blake Bortles, and we can't keep Colvin. So he left, and uh, he might play in the slot, and he might play outside. It's about opportunity, and I still think they will use one of their third or, or fourth-round picks on another cornerback because you can't have too many. Plus, Joseph's old, Johnson's hurt, Jackson's getting older, and it's still, to me, a need position, an outside corner, since you've got Coleman, Jackson, and Tyron Matthew who can all cover slot receivers. And in his secondary, you still need a safety. I mean, it's safety. You still need another one because you'll have Matthew and Andre Howell as the starters. Andre's contract, I believe, will be up. He's a former seventh-round pick, and he didn't make big plays last year like he did the year before. And I thought he would, but he didn't for whatever reason. And your backups are Corey Moore and Curtis Drummond. Eddie Pleasant wasn't re-signed. And so your backups are former undrafted free agents. So I think they will use a third-round pick or fourth-round pick on a on a safety as well. I'm looking for them to go to in those first four picks to have a tackle, offensive tackle, a tight end, a corner, and a safety. And then they're going to need they're going to be looking for depth at linebacker and a and depth for the defensive line, and specifically what they need the defensive line. And it, this is why I would love to see King Griffin come here. Besides just being a great story, they need somebody on the, if everybody's healthy on the right side. You would have Clowney in the end in passing situations. You would have Merciless lined up inside or outside of Clowney on the left end. You would have what? Well, who lines up on his inside or outside that can get the quarterback? I believe they need a pure pass rusher, somebody who is quick off the ball and fast, and when the ball snaps, this is passing situations, you say get the quarterback. And that guy, because he might could be undersized like Shaquem Griffin, you might be able to get with one of those mid mid-round picks. And I think then that would give you four possible pass rushers. Yeah, that would be really intriguing there. Just, you know, looking at the, the defense, when these guys are healthy, it could be one of the best units in the league. And, you know, just based on what we saw last year from the Eagles, you can see how a team with a very good defense, with a innovative play caller, a good quarterback, how a team like that can catch fire and make it to the Super Bowl. I know you've said that this team doesn't look like a, a Super Bowl team, but, um, I mean, realistically, I mean, how how far do you think this team could go in the playoffs? Well, first of all, let's look at the defense. Romeo Cornell's back as a coordinator. People go, oh, man, Mike Vrabel did a terrible job. How did he get a head coaching job? And I'll point this out. In 2016, when they went to the divisional round of the playoffs, played well into the fourth quarter against the Patriots until Osweiler started throwing interceptions, you know, they were number one in defense that year. And this is who Cornell had that Vrabel did not have. He had A.J. Boyer at corner, Quentin Demps at safety with six interceptions, John Simon setting the edge at strong side linebacker, all three left in free agency. Rick Smith could have kept all of them. He could have franchised Boyer. He could have kept Demps. Demps got $4 million to leave. Simon got less than that. And so those three were gone. Brian Cushing was gone for 11 games. Cornell had him. Cornell had Whitney Merciless for an entire season. Christian Covington for an entire season. The only one both of them didn't have was J.J. Watt. So they were they were they had more talent. And they were healthier with Grinnell in 2016. Now, Romeo's back. He's going to have Tyron Matthew on a one-year contract, which is great. They're going to get the best Matthews possibly got because he wants to sign another big contract like he did with Arizona. they got Aaron Colvin, who's coming off a really good season. They're going to add more in the draft. And I think they'll pick up a couple more free agents who cost less money to add depth, but I think their defense can be really, really good. So much depends on the pass rush. And Watt doesn't have to be Superman with 20 sacks. If he can just play the run well and get somewhere seven or eight, nine sacks, somewhere in that, that that's not going to win defensive player of the year, but it would be fine. It would really help the defense be good. And uh, there's, there is a 
definite possibility that this defense can be really good again and possibly even a Super Bowl defense. All right, this has been a lot of fun. One last question here. Bill O'Brien started his uh, his tenure with the Texans with three straight nine and seven seasons, and then last year dropped to four and twelve. Although honestly, it, it might have been I think one of the most encouraging seasons in that they found a quarterback. I mean, it seems as, as if they found their franchise quarterback moving into his fifth year. How secure do you think his job is? Is he a guy that the the team plans to have there for a long time, and they can really let him at this point build the team around that quarterback? It's as secure as you can be because he got a four-year extension, and Bob McNair has proved he's one of the most patient owners in the NFL. McNair gives them whatever they need financially to try to improve their team, which they've done in several departments. They've done it in free agency. If they need new coaches, they got to pay a lot of money to keep the coach from leaving. O'Brien gets what he wants, and right now, Bill O'Brien's as happy as a pig in slop because Brian Gain is the general manager, and he and Brian are best friends. And so the Texans have never been in a better situation than they are now. People may think, well, boy, that's strange coming off a 4-12 and record when you lose to Indianapolis twice. But they've written off last year as freakish because of injuries. And they also, people want to know why O'Brien's going through the hallways whistling. It's not just because of Brian Gaines. Is because he knows he's found his quarterback, and that quarterback can be fantastic. All right, uh, John, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for your insight, and I hope to get the opportunity to talk with you again as we get closer to the season. Anytime. My pleasure. Thank you. We just finished speaking with John McClain, a Texans beat writer for the Houston Chronicle, We covered a lot. Here are some of the thoughts I have coming out of the conversation. Uh, First, just in terms of the conversation and then everything with this team, it all starts with Deshaun Watson and how important he is to the Texans' offense. This is not an an exaggeration. Uh, Without Watson, the Texans were the worst team in football last year. Granted, they were also without a number of other important players, including Watt and Merciless on the defensive side of the ball. But when Watson wasn't the starter, the team was absolutely horrible. Uh, you know, hashtag quarterback wins. Uh, you know, that's not everything. But all of the other Texans starting quarterbacks last year were 1-9. and nine. Watson was 3-3. Three and three. Without Watson, the team scored uh, exactly 13 points per game. That was easily the lowest mark in the league. For context, the 0-16 Browns scored 14.6 points per game last year. Absolutely horrible. And somehow the Texans, without Watson, were worse than that. On average, the winless Browns, the totally defeated Browns, they were outscored by their opponents by 11 points per game. Without Watson, the Texans had a differential of negative 14.7 points per game, right? Again, absolutely worse than the worst team in the league. Without Watson, the offense hit its Vegas implied total in just two of 10 games, right? The For people who don't know the Vegas implied total, you can figure that out by looking at the spread and looking at the over-under for the game and seeing with those two numbers, the implied totals that the the two separate teams in the game would be expected to get, right? So if there were a game that had a a total, an over-under of 38, and one team was favored by two points, the team that uh, is favored would be implied for 20 points, and the team that's the underdog would be implied for 18 points. So kind of in this scenario, the Texans hit their implied total without Watson in just two of 10 games. Like that is statistically significant and it's horrible. With Watson, the offense hit its implied total in five of six games. In the one game in which they didn't hit the mark, that was Watson's first start and it was on a short week. It was a Thursday night game. So there wasn't much time to implement a game plan to switch from 
Tom Savage as the starter to Deshaun Watson. So I think it's a little bit more excusable for why they didn't hit their implied total in that game. And by the way, they actually still won that game. With Watson, the Texans, on average, were 11.83 points above the spread. That is incredible. That I, I cannot explain how unfathomable and, and in all reality, unsustainable that mark is. But they absolutely crushed against the spread. 11.83 points above the spread per game. Just to, to, to try to put some context to that. Last year, and granted, they played some games without, um, without Carson Wentz in Week 17 was a wash. But last year, the Eagles outperformed the spread by 5.91 points per game, right? Uh, the Saints, 4.25 points per game. The, the Jags, 6.75 points per game. The Rams, 7.19 points per game. So with Watson... And think about this, as good as the Rams were last year, as much as they, they exceeded everyone's expectations, as good as they were last year, with Watson, the Texans were even better relative to the market and market expectations. Without Watson, so with Watson, the Texans, 11.8 points above the spread. Without Watson, they were 11.2 points below the spread, right? That is... That is an unbelievable mark in terms of just how bad they were. That was by far the worst mark in the league last year. So for context, without Rodgers, the Packers were you know just 4.8 points below the spread. So in general, with Watson last year, the Texans vastly outperformed expectations. Without him, the team woefully underperformed market expectations you know the team was just 500 with Watson you know but really with Watson the Texans were a playoff caliber team and without him they were the worst team in the league I mean there's you you could say the Browns were worse but I would I would argue and I think argue successfully that the Texans literally were the worst team in the league last year without Deshaun Watson and you can see the impact that he had if you just look at the performances of his teammates, the the skill position players around him, right? With Watson, Lamar Miller was actually a functional back. He was getting receptions. He was getting goal line opportunities. If you look at the road of his splits app, you can see the six games with Deshaun Watson, 15.4 fantasy points per game. The six games without Watson, or the, yeah, the six non-Watson starts, 10 points per game. The big difference is in rushing touchdowns. He was just getting more opportunities to score and receiving touchdowns. So just in general, more opportunities to score touchdowns. He was getting more carries per game. Obviously translates to more yards per game. He was getting a little more than uh, half a more. Half a more. That's not, that sounds horrible for you. Come on. He was getting 0.5 more targets per game. Just a little bit more than that, actually. With uh, with Lamar, sorry, with uh, Deshaun Watson there, I mean Lamar Miller was a very functional and maybe even sort of like desirable running back with Deshaun Watson at quarterback. Without him, he was just a, an overrated guy. And with Watson, the team could fully support two wide receivers. I mean, Will Fuller was an absolute world beater with Watson. And I don't think it's entirely a surprise because Will Fuller, I think, is a very underrated receiver. First rounder, hugely productive in college. You know, obviously smaller guy, so he deals with some injuries. But very fast, hugely productive in college. He played in four games, right? He had four starts with Deshaun Watson. In those games, he averaged just a hair under 21 PPR points per game, 20.95 to be precise, right? Obviously, it is a small sample, so it's not as if that would have been sustainable for this season, but in his six games without Watson, he had just five, not even five, 4.9 PPR points per game. With Watson, he had 1.75 touchdowns per game, 
without Watson, no touchdowns, right? And he was targeted 5.5 times per game with Watson, 4.67 times per game without Watson. The targets, actually pretty comparable, right? He had almost 70 yards per game with Watson, 24 yards per game without him, right? Huge difference in terms of the big plays that are possible with Watson on the field. Much more yardage, many more touchdowns with Watson on the field, about the same usage. And you can even look at Hopkins. I mean, Hopkins is slightly, Hopkins is a different case because no matter who is at quarterback, Hopkins is going to get his targets. But there's a vast difference in quality, right? And even even if Hopkins in the future gets fewer targets, those targets will be worth so much more with Watson at quarterback. In his six starts with with Watson, Hopkins got 10 targets per game. Without him, he got 12.67 targets per game. That's a pretty big difference. Here is what's kind of amazing, though. He had almost the exact same number of yards per game with Watson as he did without him. 91.83 yards per game with Watson. 91.89 yards per game without Watson. One touchdown per game with Watson. 0.78 touchdowns per game without him. 6.3 receptions per game versus 6.4 without him. So in terms of his his yardage and his reception total, he's basically right there, even though he had fewer targets per game with Watson because Watson was, you know, not Tom Savage. He was more of a well-rounded quarterback who could spread the ball around. And that benefited the offense, which translated into more touchdowns per game for DeAndre Hopkins. You know, people are going to wonder, where do you draft DeAndre Hopkins this year? You know, if the offense is better, maybe that means fewer opportunities in total for DeAndre Hopkins. And if the defense is better, then maybe that means the team doesn't have to throw as often. Maybe they run the ball a little bit more. I think DeAndre Hopkins is still very much in the running to be the first wide receiver off the board in fantasy leagues this year. It's a small sample, but the sample is suggestive. Even if he gets less usage this year, and I think we probably should expect that he will, he will get fewer opportunities this year, even if and when that happens. I don't know if it's that big of a deal. He still might have a pretty comparable reception total and yardage total, And he might even have more touchdowns because the guy running the offense will create more opportunities for the team in general to produce points. That will be hugely significant for Hopkins. That on its own could make up for any decrease in usage. So, I mean, this is not an exaggeration. You can just see how important Watson is. Watson was pacing for the greatest rookie season of all time when he was injured. Really, the the greatest rookie season of all time. He was going to smash all of the rookie records. He was playing so well that it was a near MVP type of performance that he was putting up. If he had continued to do that for another couple of weeks, people would have started talking much more about the MVP for him. Like he, at the time of his injury, he had Offensive Rookie of the Year in the bag. Like, no question. But he really was playing at an MVP level. And I don't think that should be... I mean, it's obviously a surprise anytime a rookie quarterback or anytime just a rookie in general plays at a really high level. But it's not that much of a surprise with Watson that he was doing well. It's a surprise that he was doing that well. And it probably wasn't sustainable. But it's not a surprise that he was doing well. You know, first round pick, national championship, three-year starter in a Power 5 conference... He's had success at every level of competition he's ever played. You know, high completion percentage, smart by reputation, good mobility and athleticism. There really wasn't much to dislike about Watson when he entered the league, except, you know, kind of quote unquote, he had the weak arm. And I don't think that matters much anyway. Right? If a guy can read the defense and throw with anticipation, that makes up for what he lacks with his arm strength. I think it's much more important that a quarterback is intelligent than that he has a strong arm, which, um, you know, we'll see. (laughs) We'll see what that means for someone like Josh Allen. 
who I should say seems as if he's smart, but there's a difference between being smart on a test and being able to process information quickly on the football field when 300-pound linemen are trying to tackle you. So Watson, smart, not a strong arm, but probably strong enough and productive enough that we we should have expected him to be a pretty competent player fairly quickly, and that's what we saw. So if Watson is healthy this year, if he can still maneuver the pocket, the team should be good. But they really need to get him some help. A functional third wide receiver, that would be nice. And there, you know, there could be some pretty good wide receivers available in the third and fourth round. But the team probably won't go that way. You know, they have a number of wide receivers who are sitting there on the roster that, you know, they might have interest in. Um, and imagine that those guys could produce Braxton Miller, Bruce Ellington, Sammy Coates. They will probably look to one of those three guys to be the third wide receiver. But tight end, that's a possibility there. You know, there are a lot of tight ends that have been taken in the third round. Jordan Reed, Travis Kelsey, for example. So the team picks near the top of the third round with the 68th pick. Amazingly, that is the first pick that they have in the draft, the 68th pick. But with that pick, it is very possible that one of the top four tight ends could be available. Probably not Dallas Goddard, probably not Mike Kosicki, but maybe Mark Andrews, maybe Hayden Hurst. One of those four could be available. John mentioned that, uh, you know, with one of the top four picks, the Texans really could look to the tight end position. It is a position of need. Um, and John thinks that the, the team should address the offensive line there and grab a left tackle. I think it makes sense to want a left tackle in the third round of the draft. That would be nice if you could find a franchise left tackle in the third round of the draft. Um, and I understand the desire to address the offensive line with a pick in the third round. Um, the team needs help on the offensive line. I'm not as bullish on the offensive line as, as John was. But the thing is, this is not a great class for tackles. After the top five, it's it's pretty thin. Um, and I kind of doubt that any of the top five tackles will be available past the middle of the second round. Maybe a decent center will fall to the team in the third round. It's possible that they could catch a top three center in the class. Out of Frank Ragno from Arkansas, James Daniels from Iowa, Billy Price from Ohio State, it is possible that one of those three could fall to the top of the third round, right? That could help. But one way or another, Watson needs help. For the offense to be sustainable, he needs help on the offensive line. He needs a decent tight end. It would be nice if he could have a decent third wide receiver. Uh, but again, the, the team has no pick till the third round. So he's unlikely to get all or maybe even most of the help that he needs. So what we saw out of the offense last year, just in terms of the players on the field, the help that he has around him, it's probably going to be fairly similar in 2018. He could also obviously use a healthy defense that you know will help him accumulate all those hashtag quarterback wins. Uh, with a healthy defense, this team could be really good. You know, People are going to be selling the Texans this year because of their defense uh, and how non-existent it was last year when the Texans allowed the most points in the league, 27.3 points per game. But in the three years prior, they had a top five, maybe top three defense, right? This team really could be good if they are how if they are healthy. And um, you know, near the end of last season, there were rumors that Bill O'Brien might be on the outs in Houston. I mean, that didn't happen. Um, it seemed as if there was a power struggle with General Manager Rick Smith, and he is now gone, I believe, um, as the line goes to spend time with his family. Which, you know, that might be like a legit thing, but um, he's not there. You know, and instead, O'Brien has an ally in Brian Gain, who's the new GM. O'Brien has five years on his present deal. He's had winning seasons in three of four years in Houston. He had success at Penn State in the wake of the Sandusky scandal. He had success with the Patriots. You know, for better or worse, O'Brien looks likely to be with the team for, I'd say, at least another three years. You know, given that now it seems he has his franchise quarterback. And, um, you know, I think that's probably for the best. Winning coaches are hard to come by. 
O'Brien last year was innovative enough in the small sample with Watson to cater his system to Watson's strengths, even if the defense isn't healthy and things don't go according to plan in 2018, despite the team having very limited draft capital to deploy, the future looks pretty bright in Houston. Uh, If not this year, still for 2019 and I would say 2020. And that's going to do it for this Texans-focused special edition of Rotoviz Radio. Be sure to check out the episodes for all the other teams on Rotoviz in the podcast feed. I'm Matt Friedman, Matt at the Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to this special edition of Rotoviz Radio, the flagship Rotoviz podcast. Special thanks to Hassan Rahim, the producer for this episode, and to Colm Kelly, the assistant executive producer for the podcast channel. Please review the show on iTunes under the Road of His Radio feed. Contact us via email, roadofhisradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think. And follow us on Twitter at Road of His Radio. And remember, you can always support the show by subscribing to Road of His at a 30% discount through the NFL podcast homepage, roadofhis.com slash podcast. Ready, set, save California. It's sellathon time this Labor Day at your California Ford dealer. Get ready for the best offers of the summer on the 2019 Ford lineup, like an adventure-ready Explorer or the all-new built Ford Tough Ranger. Or get behind the wheel of the 2019 Ford F-150 with the power, toughness, and capability to carry any payload. You've waited all summer for these deals, and the wait is over. So ready, set, save. The Labor Day sellathon is on now, but don't wait. These deals won't last. Hurry into your California Ford dealer before it all ends September Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.